taking a look inside the lives and minds of some of the world's most inspiring thought leaders. Curiosity opens up possibilities and wisdom actually allows you to distill down what's important or essential. People living inspiring lives and motivating others. You spend the first half of your life accumulating, you spend the second half of your life editing. And I think learning how to edit your identities is part of the reason why people tend to get happier in their 50s than their 40s. Brought to you by Athletic Greens. This is the Inspiring Lives Podcast with Gary Birtwistle. I'm Gary Birtwistle and welcome to the Inspiring Lives Podcast, the show that looks inside the minds of some of the world's foremost thought leaders to discover their recipe for success. If you've been following this series, you'll know that we have already had the best of the best as guests on the show. We've spoken with an impressive list of the world's top experts in health, nutrition, performance, business, people like Todd Herman, Craig Ballantyne, Ryan Holiday, Rob Wolf, and this week is no exception. So welcome to the Inspiring Lives podcast brought to you by the most complete supplement for a better you, Athletic Greens. Today, we speak with rebel hospitality entrepreneur Chip Connolly. Not only is Chip a New York Times bestselling author, but he also disrupted his favourite industry, hospitality, not once, but twice. At 26, he founded Jour de Vie, transforming an inner-city motel into the second-largest boutique hotel brand in America. He then sold it and joined a young startup called Airbnb. And he then helped them transform themselves into one of the world's leading hospitality brands. Today, Chip is Airbnb's strategic advisor for hospitality and leadership. And in this show, we'll discuss wisdom, leadership, and how to create true disruption. So with great pleasure, Chip, welcome to the Inspired Loves podcast. Thank you. So today, when somebody says to you, Chip, what do you do? How do you like to reply? Mm. <laughs> um. I like to sort of focus on what I'm, what my goal is or what I'm accomplishing. Um, so if I were to, <clears throat> Peter Drucker's famous management theorist, he said the most important question a person can ask himself is what business am I in? And I think I, I used to be in the business of identity refreshment as a boutique hotelier. And then at Airbnb the past six years, I was in the belong anywhere business and now, um, having created something called the Modern Elder Academy, I am in the wisdom cultivation and harvesting business. Oh, we've never had one. We've never had one of them before. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chip, if we just camp there for a second, if you look back through your very distinguished career, and I love the way you have gone through this reinvention, reimagining your world, which we'll get on to. What do you put down your ability to enjoy longevity in your career? What's what do you think is the is the the silver lining in that? What what is it? It's curiosity. I think the uh, the curiosity uh, didn't maybe <laughs> might have killed a cat, although I think it actually made the cat a lot more interesting. Um, so I think curiosity has been almost like a, a life affirming elixir for me, in the sense that it has helped me when I was in my mid-20s, ask why is it that um, the big hotel chains are just selling predictability? Why can't boutique hotels be more about the experience locally? Or six years ago, joining the Airbnb founders who had started their little start, um, tech startup and wanted to become a global hospitality company, how could we create a global hospitality brand around home sharing? Um, so I... Um, and then curiosity lately about, you know, how do we help people in midlife 
repurpose themselves uh, and uh, uh, reimagine themselves in all kinds of new ways. So I think curiosity, which is a quality that we had when we were four years old, but it sort of gets it, it gets beaten out of us <laughs> as we as we go through the educational system, and then we become adults, so we think we're supposed to have all the answers. Well, I've been more and more thinking that what's really interesting is having the great questions. I've got a question for you about your website. Yeah. It says that in the about you section, about chip section, it says you are the leading authority at the intersection of psychology and business. What my question is based on what you just said about your longevity and curiosity is I'm curious to know what's right at the heart of that intersection of psychology and business. What's the most important point right at the center of those crossroads? I I would say it's the recognition that <clears throat> the most neglected fact in business is that we're all human. And um, it would be uh, an exceptional depth of, of understanding. So I, I think that the, at, at the core is, is an idea of um, having emotional uh, intelligence, which includes both self-awareness as well as other, other person awareness. So Chip, you said the two things you wanted from your work or your business was creativity and freedom. And then there came a point where you felt like you didn't have those things, and so you sold the company. What I'm curious about was, was that a, a something that gradually happened that was in the back of your mind for a long time, or was it a self-realization one day where something happened, you went, you know what, this, I'm, not, I'm not getting those two things. Was it a gradual thing or an immediate thing, and what was the, what was the point that actually made you pull the trigger to sell a company that was very, very close to your heart? Yeah, I, I I had no idea that I would be selling the company. Um, when I uh, started the company, I sort of imagined I'd be doing it for 50 years. But about 22 years into it, I had a, a flatline experience. I w- had broken my ankle playing baseball. I had a cut on my leg that had, a, had gotten fertilizer in it from the baseball field. Um, and I had a septic leg, which led me to having a strong antibiotic that I had an allergic reaction to. And... After giving a speech, I went flatline, which means that I basically died. So when you die, <laughs> you have the opportunity to reimagine your life. And um, after I came to, I, I said, you know what? I, I'm not happy doing what I'm doing. This was uh, August of 2008. We were going into the Great Recession. And uh, I made a commitment to myself that I would, over the next couple of years, figure out a way to... Uh, no longer be in the position running this company uh, that I'd been running at that point for 22 years. And so within two years, I sold the company. Uh, it was not the best timing to sell the company because the, uh, you know, we're at the, dot, the bottom of the Great Recession. But from my perspective, uh, I knew I needed to move on. And, I, and the thing that I kept thinking of was the fact that I don't have creativity or freedom uh, in my work life on a daily basis anymore. It's interesting, Chip. Does that something you use in the modern elders academy? Do you ever sort of use it as a tool to take people to that point where, although they, we hope they never will, but if they ever got to that point of flatlining or reimagining their world, is that something you use as a tool when you're mentoring or something you use at the academy to get people to that point 
to really evaluate where they're at? Yes. I, I, I mean, we don't try to we don't try to kill them and bring them back. <laughs> you know, and that that could be that could be one of our approaches in the future. Yeah. Um, give, you know, but, um, but yeah, we definitely help people to look at their lives uh, as if if they were to die tomorrow. What level of regret would they have? Post death, <laughs> you know. Generally, when you die, you don't have regrets. You don't have any kind of emotions, as far as I know. But you, um, what if what if you did die tomorrow? What would feel? What's the box of unlived life that feels unlived and unloved? And and that's a really important question to ask. And we do ask that at the academy. And it is the kind of thing I asked myself uh, eleven years ago when I had that flatline experience. It did lead me to selling the company that I thought I'd never sell, which opened me up. And, and I was able to see what could emerge from that open space in my life. And that's what led to the Airbnb founders, uh, approaching me. When you name the company, cause what's really, I don't think I've ever heard it before, but the name of the company was actually the mission of the company. Was that intentional or was that something that came out the back of it, you went, oh, actually, that's, that's pretty cool. It was completely intentional. There was very, because when you, when you call something in a country that doesn't know the language, uh, a foreign language as your, ma- as your name, your, you, especially one that's not easy to spell, and most people don't know what it means, um, it was a very daring title for the company. Uh, but what I, the one thing I did love about it is there are very few companies uh, who have a mission statement that's the same as the name of the company. And our, our mission statement was creating joy of life, uh, first and foremost for our employees, and then secondarily for our customers. How closely was that aligned to your own personal mission? Very. Um, I knew on a personal level that uh, you know happiness and joy are two different things. And, and uh, I learned that somehow at a very early age. Someone once said to me, Happiness is a solid and joy is a liquid. And what, what they meant by that is like happiness in life is, is usually the tangible things. <clears throat> and once you've actually gotten the tangible things, you sort of want the next tangible thing, the next shiny object. Joy is something that's sort of more ever present and it's, it's a way of being. It's less, less driven by, you know, circumstantial things. So I was like interested in like, okay, how do I create more joy in my life? Because it may have nothing to do with my circumstances. It may have to do with my mindset. And so, yes, so Joie de Vivre meant a lot to me. Uh, and so it was a per, sort of a personal mission statement mm. as well. Having heard a lot of your interviews and watched a lot of videos, you, you seem to be a person who does live intentionally. And that, that word living intentionally or, or uh, intentional living is getting a lot of bandwidth today as more and more people I suspect are looking to concentrate on what's important to them. But we're in a really distracted, fast-paced world. And what you've, the, the way you reframed it, you said it's not just about reinvention, but also reintention. And I just wondered whether you could explain mm. that for us is that whole living intentionally, but then reintentioning versus reinventing. Well, um, so the idea of reinventing is feels really hard, quite honestly. I mean, it doesn't mean you can't do it, but it's almost like how do you turn a duck into a dog? I mean, they're two different things. And so sometimes people don't reinvent themselves because they feel like it's too hard to do. Reintention is actually 
re, re, recognizing that you are a duck. Um, but the question is, how can you be the best kind of duck available? Um, and so I think to me, the idea that you can um, evolve as a duck and, you know, where, where, you know, where even more interesting duck clothes than trying to become a dog is um, within the realm of being able for anybody to be able to do. So I think that's part of the reason why it works for me. Something that is very prevalent in your work, Chip, and your, your writing is this identity. And something you spoke about in the book was how hard it is and how dangerous it is to be too attached to an identity and the fact that we become too attached to it and that we can't shake off that tag. Is there a kind of a psychological process that people can go through to evaluate their identity and then work out how they may shift that identity? Uh, yes. Uh, we That's something we do at the Academy. Um, there's a whole exercise we do. I, I won't go through the full exercise, but what I will say is um, imagine if you were just by yourself and you had maybe a, a half dozen or a dozen name tags that were that were in front of you on on a on a table and you could write down the variety of identities that define you or have been defining you um, so for me I you know I might say okay well I have been you know the CEO of Schwaviv and that's a I'll write that down on a name tag. I'll put that on my chest. And then you go ahead and put those on your chest. And then once you've done that, go and look in yourself in the mirror and say, okay, I've got a lot of identities. I'm a father. I am a you know political activist. I am a marathon runner. I am, you know, on the, you know, the I'm an elder at my church, whatever it is. And then look at all those and then say, you know what? How many of those are past tense and how many of them should be future tense and, and the process of moving through all of the accumulated identities and responsibilities is to me what happens in midlife midlife is about letting go or maybe you know taking off your getting it off your chest some of these identities that no longer serve you so for me one of those frankly was being the ceo of joie de vivre i was it was a very dominant identity for me. And, the, and the, you know, when the company was doing well, I felt great about myself. When the company was doing badly, I felt badly about myself. So it was very much something I, I identified with, that identity. But the process of actually, I think, going through midlife is learning which of your identities or which name tags are supposed to come off. And you spend the first half of your life accumulating you spend the second half of your life editing, and I think learning how to edit your identities is part of the way, part of the reason why people tend to get happier in their fifties than their forties. When you and I started talking about being on the show, which was late in two thousand eighteen, you got that phone call of a diagnosis, which yeah. is that call that none of us ever want to get, and you got it. Yeah. How? And that took you to that place where having those labels on that you were suddenly starting to be that person that could be on that deathbed when you had that diagnosis. Take us to that time and how did that diagnosis reframe how you you actually see what's important today? So I was on the second day of my book tour uh, in September 2018. The book is Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. 
Um, I was, it was the, I was also in New York, um, because the very next day, um, I was going to be giving a Ted talk at Ted headquarters that ultimately went onto the Ted.com website in October. So here I am on the second day of my book tour, the day before I'm giving a Ted talk, I'm at a Ted speakers dinner in New York and I knew I'm getting a call from my, my urologist, my doctor to tell me about the results of the biopsy they'd done. But he had given me some heads up in advance and said, it's probably not a problem. I think there's a 20% chance of something going wrong uh, or something being of, of, of concern. So I said, well, I'll be at this TED speaker's dinner that night when you'll call me. So just know that that's the plan. He, he didn't call me at the right time. And then 25 minutes later, he called me, but I didn't see that the phone had gone. So I like, oh, I'm just like, oh, I got to get a hold of this guy. Finally got a hold of him a half hour later while I'm at the dinner, and he just said, are you sitting down? And that's not the thing you want to hear from your urologist when you know you're going to hear about cancer. And he basically said, you've got intermediate stage prostate cancer. Um, and at your age, at that point I was 57, the pathology report is bad enough that you know we may need to, to do surgery or radiation you know, relatively soon. Um, and... Uh, I won't go into any more details about what came up then, but I had to sort of take a step and say, whoa, <clears throat> this is not, you know, I'm I'm on a book tour, the second day on a book tour. I'm doing, doing a TED Talk tomorrow. This is not what I expected. I'm launching our Modern Elder Academy six weeks from now. So I, I had to really dig deep to sort of say, okay, um, how do I both give myself the space to figure this out because I, I never knew a thing about can, about prostate cancer <clears throat> while at the same time being committed to, you know, just two to three speeches a day during the next few weeks. So um, the good news is <clears throat> six weeks later, he said, based upon a genome study they did of me, that he felt like the path of cancer growth was going to be slow enough so that I don't have to do an immediate surgery or radiation, and they're just going to be watching it and having me do a bunch of supplements and other things that uh, acupuncture, et cetera. So, um, but it was another wake up call. You know, it's funny how your body does this to you. <laughs> it's like the body, the body has been a wake up call for me multiple times in my life. You know, I had my flatline experience eleven years ago. I have cancer and and actually that the cancer was an interesting timing it was exactly at the moment where we were looking at doing our second or third modern elder academy with the first one being in mexico on a, on a beach uh, three acre campus we were looking at a second one in in uh, in hawaii and a third one in northern california and i had to then pull the plug on and say you know what we're not going to do the second and the third one right now. We are going to exclusively focus on this first one. I'm going to take my, my foot off the gas. This is a social enterprise, by the way. It's nonprofit. So I'm not trying to have dots on the map to, to create market share. I'm actually trying to make a difference in terms of helping people in midlife figure out what's next for them. And so instead of trying to do the, you know, the get big, um, path i said like let's let's instead get deep let's just do this deep and well with our singular location so much so that it's a catalyst for other people to create their own version of a midlife wisdom school that might be different called something different than a modern elder academy and that's where i've been ever since so i'm you know good news i'm uh i, I am not in radiation not in surgery um i was with my doctor today and 
you know, there's been no growth of the cancer. Uh, so I'm on active, what's called active surveillance on it. Um, but it also helped me to, it's like, helped cancer, cancer became a teacher to me of saying, Chip, you know, you're at a stage in your life where you've, you've had a lot of successes. And instead of speeding ahead like you normally do, maybe instead you're supposed to actually savor what you're doing with this. Um, and, you know, create an, something that's strong enough so that other people want to replicate it. Do you know, that's, it's interesting, Chip, because when you say it's funny how the body gives you signals, flatlining and cancer probably are two, let's say on the, on the scale extreme, <laughs> is there, is there an audit when you're sitting on your deck in Baja looking out at the ocean? Is there an audit you now do with yourself? Because sadly, a lot of people, when they get those wake-ups from the body, they end up being fatal because it's too late. Is there an audit you do on yourself now that doesn't require you to go to the extreme, that you just keeps you focused on what's important? Yeah, well, I think I, I try to meditate every morning. Um, and there's some things I'm just not good at. I'm not very good at yoga, um, but I but I am actually pretty good at I enjoy meditating and it helps slow my mind down. It helps me to, to gain some awareness. You know, the thing that's really true about I think about life is that when you're in the constant um, pursuit uh, of something, you don't notice what's happening inside. And um, so, meditation is a form of slowing down and and being a little more awake and aware of what's going on inside. And I try, I try to t look at my life also as um, a, a balance between attaining and attuning. Attaining basically is a very male um, hunter and gather energy. It's perfectly fine. I'm a man, so I have that energy. But the truth is that when I'm in the attaining mode, I often have to atone for things later because I'm usually, you know, get out of my way and I'm going to, I may have sharp elbows. And when I'm in the attaining mode, I, I don't listen to myself, you know, very well. And there's certain things in life that are meant to be attuning sports. Surfing, which I'm learning, is an attuning sport. You attune to the wave. <clears throat> Yoga is an attuning sport. And when you attune, you're more at one. You're in harmony with something. So, the other way I look at this in my life is when do I need to be in the attain mode and when do I need to be in the attune mode? And when it came to a joie de vivre growing it, I was an attainer. When it came to Airbnb, I was an attainer much of the time, but I was an attuner as well because I actually, Brian, the CEO, who I'm the in-house mentor for him, he's, a, he's such a dynamo going attain, attain, attain. I at times had to be his conscience in the attune mode in a variety of ways. And then for the Modern Elder Academy, I've moved to the other side and just said, listen, I'm in the attune mode here. This is not about market share growth. This is about attuning with what I'm learning from this in such a way that we create such a high guest satisfaction, student satisfaction in this experience that the world needs more of these. And, and you know, others see that and they can go out and then attain creating a second, third, fourth, and tenth of those. Man, that's so good. And would it, would it be fair to say that in the attuning area of our minds when we're in that, say, identity, is it important that Q 
curiosity. Is curiosity a big part of that, Chip? Would you say that going back to where we started this conversation about your longevity around curiosity, do you think curiosity is a stepping stone into true attuning? Yes. I I think what curiosity does is it opens up possibilities. Um, I define myself now as a modern elder, whatever that is. And a modern elder is, in my mind, is different than the traditional elder. The elder of the past was regarded with reverence. Uh, You had to listen to your elders. But the modern elder is not about reverence, they're about relevance. And the way you you are relevant is you're curious and you are constantly learning about modern-day problems and issues. I had to learn about home sharing as a hotelier, which didn't make sense to me when I first started learning about Airbnb. But I had to be open and curious to like, why is it that this this little company is growing so quickly amongst millennials. Um, and so that I think curiosity opens up possibilities and wisdom actually allows you to uh, distill down what's important or essential. So I think a modern elder, uh, myself included, is a, a perfect alchemy of curiosity and wisdom with the curiosity opening up the possibilities and the wisdom being able to sort through all those possibilities to determine what's important and essential. And when you can do both of those things well, wow, the world is your oyster. More gold. Uh, Chip, you just mentioned Brian Chesky. Can I ask, ask you a question about Brian? Yeah. You, you've you obviously gotten very close over the years. When Two, two things with, with walking into Brian Chesky, one of the founders of Airbnb. When he approached you, to work with the business, did you have a default voice that started to, was disempowering to start doubt yourself? Was there a voice in the back of your head? Because they're they're pretty impressive guys and they're a lot younger than you. Was there a default voice that actually in the back of your mind said, I don't know if I can do this? Yeah, the the default voice was, wow, I've never been in a tech company before. I was 52 at that time. And I didn't understand tech lingo. And so I felt really out of my natural habitat. And um, I was twice the average age of the employees in the company. So, yeah, there was a part of me that felt like, shit, you know, excuse me. But this is is a point in my life where I should be just coasting and enjoying myself. And I've had some successes. Why am I putting myself in a position where this could be, you know, a glorious failure that, you know, is frankly very public? Um, and so, yeah, I think if you're constantly worried that you're going to fail, you're likely to fail. So I, what I had to get over was forget about the failure, focus on the curiosity. Um, and the curiosity was like, okay, well, how could I become more knowledgeable about tech? How can I use this as an opportunity to learn an industry I don't know much about? And, and that's really what I did. I read a book a couple of years ago on Airbnb. It was called The Airbnb Story, and it talked a lot about Brian. And one of the things that I still to this day remember vividly from the book, there was a quote from Brian who said, where people think Airbnb is today, we were there two years ago. And it just seemed like he had this ability to be able to think way ahead and then execute. But that's that's from me reading a book. I'd be interested from somebody who is very, very close to Brian mm-hmm. What's the greatest business skill that you would say you admire about Brian Chesky? 
Well, there's, you know, he's got a growth mindset. So you can either have a fixed or a growth mindset in life. And, and frankly, one person can have fixed in certain parts of your life, growth in other parts. A growth mindset is different than a fixed mindset in the sense that with a fixed mindset, you tend to be focused on um, proving yourself. And uh, what defines success is winning. Whereas with a growth mindset, you're not focused on proving yourself. You're focused on improving yourself. And the, and the definition of success is learning, not winning. Brian is very focused on a growth mindset. He really wants to improve himself. That defines the company. So the company is less focused on winning than, than learning and growing. And that kind of willingness to try new things and sometimes mm -hmm. fall down, but be willing to learn in the process really defines why the company has grown so quickly. Just before I let you go, because I'm very conscious of your time, just a couple of quick things. You, you seem like a person, as we are, that likes the movies and you take pieces and learnings and philosophies from movies. And one you speak a lot about is Robert De Niro in The Intern. And I've often heard you say the quote, musicians don't retire, they quit when there's no more music left inside them. And at this point, you still have the curiosity, the drive to take on new things like surfing, take on new businesses like the, the, the academy. What, what is the soundtrack? If you had to name that soundtrack that is playing inside you, what, who's the artist and what's the song? It's uh, U2, uh, Beautiful Day. Um, and it would be that because uh, whenever I hear that song, and I'm not, I'm not a huge Bono fan and U2 fan, but I love that song because whenever I hear it, I, I just get a big smile erupting on my face. Um, and I do think that <clears throat> that point of view, that it's a beautiful day, it is um, a great way to see one's life. Uh, even, even when it, it doesn't feel like a beautiful day and it's, <laughs> it's raining outside, uh, there's, uh, there's always, you know, which doesn't happen in, 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 in Sydney. You guys are in Sydney, right? Yeah. You have, you're just, it's always sunny there. Um, <laughs> we wish, yeah. you know, one of my favorite urban runs in the world is that Kuji the Bondi run. Yeah, like right. just, you know, that's a, that's a great thing. Or is it, is it Bronte? No, it's Kuji's further out, right? Bronte to Bondi. Yeah. Oh, Bronte. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great run. Um, so yes, that would be my, my soundtrack. A couple of quick things before we go. It's been said of you that you don't listen to the story, but you listen for the story. What's what's the soundtrack? What's the dialogue in your mind when you're talking or mentoring somebody? What are you saying or what are you going through in your mind when you're listening for the story? Well, the, yeah, the difference is to the story is literal and for the story is figurative and and it's important you listen for both because if you're not actually catching the story and you have to ask a lot of questions later because you didn't really capture that, then that th then the person thinks you didn't listen to them. But the thing is that if you get too caught up in the literal part of the story, you don't have much to offer in terms of pattern recognition or wise themes that you can point out. Because sometimes people can't see in their own life the thing that's so obvious to someone else. And so you need to be able to say to this person who's looking for some advice, um, you know, I noticed that you, you have a consistent sense of having to prove yourself or feeling like your boss or the person in power is somebody you have to fight. Mm -hmm. 
You know, um, have you ever noticed that? So that's the, that would be for the story. To the story would be that, you know, they tell you a series of things that are going on. Um, now, again, you don't just say that to anybody. This is in the case someone who's, you know, wants some advice and, and, that, and therefore you can offer that. There's something that you talked about that I think was really important for us, Chip, and I reckon a lot of people are going through this. You talked about the fact that people today are starting to feel invisible and people are fearing that and they're feeling less relevant. And it's probably been the success of our show is that how people frame that is I've lost my mojo. And people are feeling bland or vanilla. They're feeling off-white. And I think a lot of it comes down to this feeling invisible or, or am I still relevant? Why, why is that happening? What are you observing? Power is moving 10 years younger and we're all going to live 10 years longer. And um, why is power moving 10 years younger? Well, seven of the 10 most valuable companies in the world today are tech companies. Um, digital intelligence or DQ is particularly prized in all companies, not just in tech companies. And therefore, people who are younger, who have a strong digital fluency or prowess, um, in many cases are leapfrogging ahead of people who are older. Um, 40% of people in Australia, the US, Canada, England, um, uh, have bosses that are younger than us now. So if we're going to, if power is moving 10 years younger and we're going to live 10 years longer, we have, uh, created a new 20 year irrelevancy gap that didn't used to exist. And what we have to help people to see, and this is what we do at our modern elder Academy is how do you make yourself relevant again? Chip, we're mindful of time. We'll let you go. The latest book, which I loved. And I also, I would recommend the, the audio book because I feel like you're talking with me uh, mm, as opposed to a book. And the way you link it all together and it's very conversational, I really enjoyed it. And the resource section at the back is quite extraordinary with you list a whole bunch of your top tens of everything. And um, yep. that that book was Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Day Elder, which I loved, and the other book that Chip mentioned before, Peak, both excellent books. Um, one thing you put as a quote in the start of one of the chapters was to attain knowledge, add things every day, to attain wisdom, remove things every day, Lao Tzu. What have you removed from your world in the last, say, 100 days that's had a profound effect on you as a man? Uh, well, I don't know if it's profound, but I've, I've stepped away from some board roles that I've had where I've been on the board of organizations for many, many years, knowing that it was time. Uh, it was hard to do it because I have lots of history there and I like, I like the, the organizations, but I knew that in order to make space in my life, the only way I could do it is to actually, um, start to actually say, say no to some mm. things. Uh, where for all the stuff you're doing, Chip, where's the best hub for people to go to to find more about you? Chip Conley, C-O-N-L-E-Y dot com. Uh, and that's where you'll find out about Modern Elder Academy. And uh, I, I've written a, a bunch of articles on LinkedIn. So you can look at my LinkedIn profile as well. Chip, thank you, mate. I know how much you've got on your plate. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So that's today's show. And there are loads more incredible guests in the weeks to come on the Inspiring Loves podcast. You'll find all the show notes at athleticgreens.com. Next time, I'll sit down with one of the world's most exciting young celebrity chefs, 
Dan Churchill. Dan's an Australian and he now lives in New York and is regularly featured on television networks across America. His cookbooks have sold around the world and his widespread appeal has led him to be the first chef to be appointed as ambassador to sports brand Under Armour. And he's also an ambassador for companies like Qantas, Intel, Tourism Australia, and of course, Athletic Greens. Dan has always had a passion for cooking and all things outdoor and is driven by one simple mission, to use food as a tool to bring people together and enrich their lives. So that's next time on the Inspiring Loves Podcast. The Inspiring Loves Podcast, brought to you by Athletic Greens. New episodes out every other Monday morning. Tune in and subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app or your favorite podcast platform.